Tell them Tip Told You Dot com The podcast about pop culture Black history and spirituality Yeah It's about to be a great vibe Dr. Tip Gonna take it away Tell them Tip Told You girl tip thank you for joining me for another edition of tell them tip told you um we're still quarantined <laughs> we're gonna have fun together anyway i've got some things i want to talk to you about uh i want to talk about black people and this covid stuff i also want to talk about teaching our youth to say no in the the yaya mayweather situation um it's autism awareness month so i want to say some things about that and then i've got some stuff I have to tell you about this going on next week. So let's just jump right in, okay? Listen, when when this um, coronavirus stuff first started, because there have been so few cases on the African continent, a lot of us were, you know, laughing and playing, talking about black people were immune. But now the statistics are demonstrating to us that we're actually dying disproportionately higher rates um, than other people, right? Black and brown people are dying at disproportionately high rates from this. And despite the Surgeon General's foolishness, right, where he tried to blame our our diet and things like that, um, and I'm not saying that diet doesn't play a role in what I'm about to say, but one of the issues that causes our um, greater propensity to um, transition as a result of the coronavirus are the underlying health conditions that Black folk have you know, hypertension, heart disease, blood pressure. Well, that's hypertension, um, diabetes, obesity is like number five or six on the list of um, factors contributing to more susceptibility to death from coronavirus. And if we look around our community, even some of the most fit around us have high blood pressure issues, have heart issues. Um, And the thing is, some of that may be personal choice in terms of diet, lack of exercise, but the part that we cannot control is the impact of racism, white supremacy on the human body, right? Um, We live in neighborhoods that are quite often food deserts where it's either very expensive to get fresh produce or it's just not there. For example, where I teach in Southwest Georgia, which has one of the highest rates of coronavirus in the state, where I teach, the campus is in a food desert, right? Even though we're in the middle of all the agricultural land, it's relatively hard for students, especially those without transportation, to get to a grocery store that has quality produce. Notice I said quality produce. The closest places to those kids, checkers. Um, Captain D's, McDonald's, Family Dollar, gas stations. Now, there's a Jamaican spot on the corner, but if you can't really afford that, it's not a grocery store for you to go to, right? Um, Those students, it's almost a lot. It's not their choice. They're in a food desert, right? So where our neighborhoods are, the resources that are in and around our neighborhoods, Um, we can't act like that doesn't have an effect on how people eat and what they're accustomed to eating. We also cannot downplay the effects of stress on the human body. 
Stress has been shown to decrease your immune system's ability to respond to external um, toxins. Racism is a hell of a stressful thing to live under, right? So we've got stress going on. We've got the food deserts going on. We've got um, healthcare issues, access to quality healthcare. We also know when we go to the doctor, they're less likely to believe us. And God forbid you're a big girl like me. The first thing they're going to do, with the exception of my current primary care physician, who is a black woman, I love her, Dr. Shorter, thank you. Um, but most of us go to the doctor, they see an overweight black woman, the first thing they do is try to blame our weight for every ailment we go in for. I might go in about a knee injury and they tell me to lose 50 pounds, right? I'm sure 50 pounds lost might help, but it also doesn't help that I have some underlying things that you can't see with the human eye that probably is causing me joint pain, right? Those kinds of things that black people suffer is not necessarily a, a product of their individual choices so much as it, a, it is a product of living in a white supremacist nation. And we cannot blame the less of these, the least of these, for the things that are facing them we have to work to fix it. Let me also say something about the coronavirus and black folk. You know, ever since the internet became a thing, there have been black folk. If you go watch some of those old State of the Union, remember when um, there used to be State of the Black Union addresses every year? Tavis Smiley was one of the, the hosts. Um, we won't even, tongue in cheek, even saying his name. <laughs> but since the very first one of those, what is that, like in the 90s? We've been preaching about the digital divide and how it enables certain people to have access to information and it keeps other people from access to information. And right now we live in an information economy. There are people becoming rich strictly off information, digital information especially. And so when we live in a culture where some people have ready access to high-speed internet, computers, tablets, smartphones with un uh, unlimited data plans, etc., you are at an advantage over students who may not have high-speed internet at home, who may not have a computer that can support some of the apps and software teachers might be asking them to use, et cetera, et cetera. And so what we're going to witness, mark it down, and you can tell them Tip told you, what we're going to witness is a growing achievement gap between those students who at one end of the digital divide and students at the other end. Now, is that by design? We've had a long time to figure out this digital divide thing. For it to be the first time that some of these districts send home devices that they already had demonstrates to me that there may be an unwillingness to support certain students. I have had to tell my kids, based on instructions given to me by state offices, I've had to give my list, give my kids a list of places where they have access to free high-speed internet. And I have had to say, if the library is closed, go sit in the parking lot. You can still catch a signal. Am I really expecting a student who has to go into a parking lot to catch a signal to, get to, to submit the same quality of work as someone who's sitting at home, comfortable, well-lit, secure, and on a computer at the house? Come on. We, we need to expect some things. And I think as educators in particular, it's very important that we figure out how to address some of these issues. Now, if, if it were all left to Tiffany, many of these schools would be pass or fail. 
I wouldn't be putting a whole lot of stress on students. I would be emphasizing what I emphasize to my student teachers. And that is there is a difference between education and schooling. And right now, what is happening in a lot of districts with a lot of um, relatively naive, apolitical teachers is that they are still trying to do schooling while at home. Right? Education, though, does not have to be locked into four walls, and it happens readily. When we're in the kitchen teaching our students how to fix breakfast or whatever, let's show them measurements. That's in the standards. How to measure things is in the standards. When we're outside and we see a rainbow, teaching them about refraction, that's science, and it's in the standards. Right? Even the little ones teaching them how to cut out shapes is in the standards. Now, so if you're listening to me and you're in the state of Georgia, every state, though, you should be able to do this relatively easily with a Google search. Um, I just, because I'm in Georgia, I can tell you what <laughs> the standards are called. But in, in Georgia, if you just Google the Georgia Standards of Excellence and then you put in whatever grade your child is in, you can pull up the standards, read through them, and think creatively about some activities you can start to do with your kids. It doesn't have to look like school. Right. It doesn't have to look like them sitting at a desk with pen and paper, working out worksheets you've printed off of Teachers Pay Teachers or some other website. It doesn't have to look like that. It can look like exactly what I'm saying. My nephew and I, we sorted his cars yesterday. Sorting is a standard for pre-K. So let's put all the orange cars together. Now let's put all the race cars together. Every car that looks like this, let's put it in a stack by itself. Sorting is part of the standards for pre-K. Right. So you can still be playing with your kids, right? Which is what they need right now. They don't need to be stressed out because just as this is causing anxiety for adults, can you imagine as a child and you're only hearing bits and pieces of conversations, you don't really understand fully what's happening. You don't understand why your parents may be extra stressed. They need play. They need physical activity. In fact, if we go to old school, um, play is probably the best way for kids to learn. But that's neither here nor there. If, you don't, if you're feeling um, intimidated, let me, let me do a personal plug here. If you're feeling intimidated about creating some things for your kids to do at home, make sure you visit my, my um, other page, which is Pogue Educational Consulting, and get on my mailing list because I mail out website links. Um, I mail out things you can do at home. Um, that don't require the digital access, things you can do with your kids. Like I just said, if you're sorting ki with kids, if you're cutting out shapes and letting them do art projects, talk to them about color and shade. If you're listening to um, videos at home, talk to them about prosody and tone. Um, let them play music and let's teach them to, to have rhythm. Things like that. Um, are all part of the standards for early childhood. And it's fun. Education does not have to be born. And in the meantime, those of us that are educators have to do what I just offered. We have to provide more resources for our parents. And we also, y'all, we have got to figure this digital divide out. And let me also say this. For those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while or who know me personally, I have been saying for years, that I put money on that in within our lifetimes, we will see the end of public schools in the United States, right? Because too many people see them as a privilege and not a right. 
and we have a current secretary of education that's not really supportive of public schools. And so those of us who are educators have got to be more strategic. We have to be a network and we have to be establishing some institutions for our babies so that when all this is over, they have what they need to be successful in this society. All right, I'm gonna get off that stuff. Um, but when I'm saying um, there's a difference between schooling and education, let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, the research um, said, well, let me just do my mentor because, you know, he's been on my heart a lot lately. Uh, my mentor, Imwali Mashuja, has a wonderful book, um, Too Much Schooling, Too Little Education, A Paradox of Black Life and White Society. Um, and in that book, Shuja is adds his voice to those who say that there is a difference between education and schooling. I fully support that argument. There is a difference between education and schooling. According to Shuja, schooling helps maintain the status quo. In other words, if we want society to continue as it currently exists, we do schooling. This is why you're still learning the same shit your mom and daddy learned 30 years ago. Because we don't really want things to change, right? The people... The powers that be don't really want things to change a whole lot. Now, on the other hand, education is about giving learners the tools they need to be successful in the, and to contribute to life inside their communities. And so for many groups, many groups, the United States school system is about schooling, not necessarily education. That's why you have some cultural groups that have Saturday schools, right? Because they don't trust the public school system to give their students everything they need culturally, spiritually, so on and so forth, because they understand the difference between schooling and education. All right. Let me say this. When you are Googling those standards to help your students learn certain things, some of it is straight schooling, right? How you present it may shift the schooling into education. But there are some things that are not in those standards that we as a community have to be giving our young people. And that brings me to the other thing I wanted to discuss. Yaya Mayweather stabbed her boyfriend's baby mama in an argument. Now, you don't have to know who those people are because I don't really know who those people are. I do know that she... Uh, grew up as a, a, a child of a, mil, a multimillionaire. She's extremely financially privileged. Um, and just like many other people her age, she has a problem with conflict resolution. Now, that is something that we're not doing a good job of in most U.S. public schools. Like, we suspend kids when they fight. We give them detention. Hell, unfortunately, some of them get locked up because the school resource officer is too willing to give babies a record. Um, so, And that's a whole other conversation. But so on and so forth. What we're not doing, because it's education and not schooling, what tends not to happen in the U.S. public school classroom are lessons on conflict resolution. And so while our students are home with us, right, we need to be figuring out some lessons and some activities to teach them self-regulation and to explore traditional models of conflict resolution. Now, I have a course on that that's coming soon. Again, make sure you're following Pogue Educational Consulting. I'll probably still send it out 
to my email list through Tell Them Tips Told You because I think it's important. But what I have done is studied traditional African models of conflict resolution and have turned those into a discipline building plan for parents to use with their students. Because what happens is we have um, in the public school system, we don't really know what we're doing. Quite frankly, we don't really know what we're doing in terms of teaching kids. Um, that's why it's, it's such a buzz right now, that socio-emotional uh, learning piece and grit and all that kind of stuff, growth mindset. is because we realize there has been a lack in how we're teaching kids. And pe what people are doing now is trying to box some common sense and sell it back to school systems. But in the meantime, we do need to have real-life, tangible models of conflict resolution to teach our kids about. And that's what I'll be offering um, soon. I'll be sending some information out on that as well through the email list. So make sure you're on that. Um, but that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about. But, I, you know, I, I just want to emphasize that a lot of our kids don't understand how to resolve conflict without becoming violent. Let me tell you a story. I had a, um, a summer program for a number of years uh, at the university where I am, and we would bring in high school students and, um, you know, walk them through a STEM kind of academy. Well, I had one student who uh, a judge recommended her to our program because the judge thought that this student could go either way, right? With the, with, with the wrong environment, she probably would end up in the juvenile detention center. With the right kind of environment, she could be steered back to quote unquote good behavior. And so she was, um, she was quote unquote sentenced to my program. And I loved that child. I had no problems with her. She was one of the uh, most energetic, uh, most memorable. She was engaged. She was a good model for the other kids. Like she made the learning cool, um, that kind of thing. But right after uh, that summer, I went to go visit her teacher at the school. Now she was a senior that year. And I thought we had, you know, turned her around. But I remember sitting in the teacher's uh, classroom during planning period. And she said, did you hear about your girl? And I said, what? And just then there was a knock on the back door. Because the, that teacher's room had a back door. The school back door was in her room because she was teaching early childhood. And it was set up like a daycare center. Long story short. The child comes in and she's like, tell Dr. Poe what's up with you. And I was like, what? Why? First of all, why are you coming in the back door? She had been expelled from school for fighting her best friend. And when I asked her about it, her response was, you know, she was talking about me and I didn't know what else to do. Now, that's an indictment on me and my summer program, because I knew that I had some kids in there that the judge had sentenced to me. And I did not have any discipline building activities in that. No conflict resolution activities built into my summer program. I will never suffer through that again. I always make sure I'll have that in there from now on. But I'm saying all that to say we cannot make assumptions about what, how our kids know how to handle stuff. Like when I started asking her a question about what, well, why did you feel the need to do anything? She was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Because we forget, we a lot of us forget what it's like to be a kid. You know, your emotions are raging, your hormones are raging. Um, you, you don't have the capacity to make good decisions anyway. I don't know why we forget that developmentally. You know, kids aren't fully mentally developed at that point. 
and then we hold them accountable like they're adults. But that's a whole nother story. I'm rambling. Let me get off that. But what I'm saying is we cannot depend on schools to provide for our students what they obviously already are failing, falling short on. And that is providing our students holistic education that teaches them how to resolve conflict, how to walk through this world with grace and excellence. That is our responsibility. And so teachers and educators within our community, and when I say teachers and educators, I don't mean just those of us who do this as a profession. I mean, there are some people who need to be apprenticing some folk. You make jewelry, apprentice some young people, mentor them. You're a chef, mentor some young people, apprentice them. That is what we need in our communities. And now is the perfect time for us to network and create these relationships. All right. Um, while we're talking about education, I also want us to talk about this is Autism Awareness Month. I want you all to explore that. Please stop following people who act like it's a conspiracy theory for us to get our students the services that they need and deserve. I, I'm just going to drop that there. I don't have much else to say except to enrich your knowledge of autism, please. Okay. All right. So here's the other thing I wanted to talk to talk about in terms of the networking. In my research, one of the things that I have found that has always been a powerful component of black life is the cultural connector. Here's what I mean by that. There is always somebody in our community, in our circles, who will say, oh, you're thinking about doing this thing. I'm going to introduce you to X, Y, Z because they do blah, 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 blah. And you two need to know each other. Or um, when I watched the Aretha Franklin funeral, that was hours and hours ago. Okay, so when we watched Aretha Franklin's funeral, it it oh, it touched me because so many people were talking about she introduced me to such and such or she introduced me to such and such. That's what a cultural connector does. In a lot of cases, this is how the powerful networking happens in our communities. But what it takes for one to be a cultural connector is humility because you, you don't have to be in on every deal that happens. You just want to put the people in the room that need to make the deal, right? So there's a certain amount of humility that happens. Many of us watched the Clarence Avant um, documentary on Netflix. That spoke to me about him. He, Most of us had never heard of him until we saw that documentary. Obviously, there's a certain amount of humility that allows one to put other people in conversation with each other, to mentor certain people through networking, et cetera, et cetera, and not have to be in the limelight, right? I, 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 I wonder, like, are we missing that now? I, I, we, we can't be missing it completely because I know cultural connectors in my own life and I try to be one. But what I'm saying is I wonder if more of us could be that thing, but we're so busy wanting the limelight and to be the head, the spotlight, have the spotlight on us that we're not doing it. And so I'm going to challenge us, particularly while we're in this period, to think about who needs to know whom. Like what partnerships need to be forged for some of these things to happen? Let me tell you how it's happening in my own life right now. Some of you saw about a month ago, oh, it hasn't been almost a month, maybe like three weeks ago when this self-quarantining stuff first started, I had a virtual brunch. And of the women that showed up to the virtual brunch, it was amazing the synergies 
that has happened between uh, that has happened between these women um, and how the work overlaps. I am so excited about what's going to come out of this um, relationship that is forging as a result of our brunch and building sessions once a week. Um, we have to think more strategically about partnerships like that, where one person doesn't have to win. It's about individuals coming together and saying, this is my wheelhouse. This is what I know. Here are my resources. Now, how can we use this? And another person saying, oh, well, this kind of aligns with that. Let me show you how we can, you know, build X, Y, Z as a result of that. I'm having a good time watching this happen. And I want more of us while we are in this period of, of isolation, um, which is an illusion, right? Isolation is an illusion, but that's a whole nother spiritual conversation. Uh, but while we're in this period, I want us to think about who we need to be connecting to and how we need to connect. Speaking of which, I've got something coming up starting later today. Well, actually, you're listening to this Monday. So it's starting. it started yesterday. The overview was yesterday. But it starts tonight at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and that is um, getting free coaching for me. So for um, seven days, I'm doing a free coaching on pushing the reset because I really want us to think about how we can be using this particular time where we're away from most people to think about who we really most want to be, and we emerge on the other side of this as that person. Um, and so I'm going to be walking anybody through because there's no charge, uh, no gatekeeping, no passwords. All you got to do is hit up my IG lives um, for the next seven days at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and check out what I'm uh, what I'm doing. And so if you're interested in that, make sure you're following me on Instagram at Tiffany D. Ph.D. All right. Um, but here's here's what I want to say. For those of us who are introverts, not I'm naturally an introvert. This time is not that hard for me because, I mean, this is almost what I prefer. I'm around my family. I have access to the Internet, so I have access to other people. I, I'm really missing my teaching, though, because teaching for me is an embodied practice, and I miss my baby students. I miss my babies. Um, but right now I'm alone. Not completely alone because I just told you I'm with my family. Um but this period, some of us are alone and we feel like it's a punishment when really this, and I'm not talking about the death and the, the sickness that's going on. Please don't confuse what I'm saying. That is not a blessing. However, the time that some of us have to pull back from other people is a blessing. And I really think it's an opportunity for us to, to receive some clarity on who we are. I think that's most important. To receive clarity on who we are, why we are who we are, and who we can be, who we want to be. Like, I think some of us are confused about who we want to be. Like, we're, we're getting all these images and messages from pop culture and social media, and even from religious dogma about who it is we're supposed to be. And that ain't in alignment with who we really are supposed to be, right? I think. Um, in fact, I believe that all people come to this earth with a divine purpose. And unfortunately, we, many of us have allowed ourselves to become distracted from that divine purpose. And as a result, we've got some resetting to do. 
Um, and so that's what I'm trying to get to with this coaching. I'm taking you through it because I want to go through it myself. I just wanted to put that out there in case you're interested. Um, I really think that a lot of us, a lot of us, and I know it's a lot of us because a lot of you I've had conversations with. A lot of us have been waiting on a sign. We have been waiting for a perfect opportunity. We have been waiting on a, a friend who's supposed to do such and such with us. We have been waiting to have a lover to do such and such with us. Let this be a sign that the waiting is over. It's time to do. It's time to do. You don't have to have a romantic partner to travel the world. Stop waiting on that. You don't have to have the perfect workout outfit, especially right now how you can't go to the gym anyway. Get your ass outside and do something. I'm talking to myself too. Before y'all call me a hypocrite. Talking to myself too. Stop waiting to learn how to cook so you have a perfect, you know, cookware. Get your ass in the kitchen right now. Let, let me tell you what's funny. I told my sister, I'm going to stop waiting to switch to natural deodorant. Now is the perfect time because if I'm funky, I'm just around the family. And it gives my body a chance to detox and get used to the natural deodorant. So there's, there's you know, a PSA for those of you wanting to come off the commercial brand deodorant so you can move to something more uh, healthy, but you're afraid of being funky. Now is the perfect time to be funky in your house by yourself. And then by the time we come out, we'll be good, right? I, I'm just, I'm thinking about, you know how when in high school you used to have summer break and towards the end of the summer break, when you're getting your school clothes, you're thinking about how you're going to come back to school, reinvent it, like with the new fly hairstyle and the new fly gear and all this kind of stuff. Let's let's have that attitude. What you going to come out of quarantine like? I'm not saying beat yourself up. I'm Y'all know I'm not the grind or die people, but I am saying this is too much of an opportunity for us to pull back and get clear on who it is we really want to be and to be that person. All right. So I just wanted to pop on here. One, because, hey, I'm supposed to. <laughs> but two, to share that with you. I really think we have an opportunity to pull together as a community in ways we haven't done before. I want us to think strategically um, about it. If you have some ideas, make sure you hit me up at drtip at tellemtiptoldyou.com. Do me a favor. Leave us a good review. We are on iTunes and SoundCloud. Feel free to leave a good review on either one. And make sure you share this with someone who might find it helpful. All right? Thanks. Have a good one, y'all. Love you. Bye. Today's episode of the Tell Em Tip Told You podcast is brought to you by the Freshman Bootcamp. The Freshman Bootcamp is designed to help first-year college students navigate successfully through the new university environment. For more information, visit www.thefreshmanbootcamp.com.